Welcome to the Watching World Podcast, a podcast of abundant life whose mission is to see lives changed by Jesus and whose vision is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I'm your host, Les Norman. Thanks for joining us today. And with us today is Pastor Phil Hopper. You're becoming a regular guest on the show. I really love the fact that you get to come here consistently. I get to hear you on Sunday and throughout the week and then on the Watching World Podcast. I hope I get to come here all the time, Les. Yes. I really like hanging out with you. <laughs> Back at you. And we got a great setup and I don't have to say a whole lot. I just get to listen to you and, and that's a big joy for me. And sitting on the other side of Pastor Phil Hopper, we have a special guest today. And before I introduce him, the reason that they're here is um, this is episode two of the series that we're doing called Sharing the Gospel in Post-Christian America. And today's title uh, of the series is The Reliability of the New Testament. And that's not a, a simple topic that you're going to be able to cover just in a, a quick conversation. And so we find that the series is important. And so we had to have the man come in. Ed Croteau is joining us today. He's a lay pastor at Abundant Life serving in apologetics as well as in the paradigm and fusion ministries. He leads a weekly Bible study that's open to the community called FSE University, Faith, Substance, and Evidence, and it provides uh, materials free to the public on the truth and relevance of Jesus Christ to all aspects of life. And on the web, on, on the World Wide Web, you can go to fse.life. Uh, he writes a weekly opinion column in the Lee Summit Tribune titled, the Evidence of Faith's Substance. That's awesome, where he takes relevant cultural issues and provides a biblical response. And on the personal side, he's not just a lay pastor. He's a, he's a cool dude. I love this guy, man. But he's a engineer, a statistician, lives in Lee Summit with his bride, Joe, of 35 years. That's awesome. And he has four kiddos carrying on that name. So, Ed, welcome to the Watching World podcast. It's great to have you here, man. Hey, Les, thanks so much for having me this week. Absolutely. Um, love listening to your insights, uh, your heart for God. And and man, if people have not heard of FSC University, again, fsc.life, isn't there a YouTube channel they can go to as well? Yes. Yep. Right there on the site, you can click on it. Yeah. FSC University. Again, that's Faith, Substance, and Evidence. So, Pastor Phil, I'm going to turn to you and sit back and just let you tackle this easy question, okay? Is the New Testament reliable? Well, I don't know, Les. I've struggled with that, wrestled with that for many years. Of course, you know, that's my gift of sarcasm coming out. <laughs> uh, I've given my life to it. I'm so convinced we can trust the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, that it has uh, been something I've given the last 25 years of my life to study. I believe it's the Word of God, not simply the Word of men, but God's Word to every man and woman for every generation. It's God's revelation to us all. And listen, you know, people say, well, it's just blind faith. Christianity is just blindly believe, close your eyes, take a leap, hope it's true. But I've never made any decision in that manner. It's what sets our faith apart from every other faith system in the world. It is faith based on evidence. This is what I love about Ed's ministry. Faith, substance, and evidence. It is not blind faith at all. It is faith in the end, but it's not blind faith. It is faith based on rational, archaeological, historical, plausible reasons. And the New Testament's no different. There, there's the, the evidence is overwhelming that it is an inspired, uh, God-breathed work that we can trust in. And so, uh, Les, this is a phenomenal uh, thing to talk about today because we have so many people looking to find their one in a post-Christian era. What does that mean? It means we're not living at a time where the average American believes the Bible is God's Word. 
There was a time where even lost men and women that didn't really know Jesus personally and fundamentally believed the Bible in some manner was authoritative. But those days are pretty much behind us. And so uh, it's a different age in which we live where you can just open up the New Testament to the book of Romans and share, you know, the Romans road to lead someone to salvation without first dealing with why they should even listen to a book that they're not sure they even believe. And so uh, I love what Ed is doing, helping Christians have intelligent conversations with people who are far from God and be able to answer real questions that people have, in this case, about the reliability of the New Testament, Ed. You know, it's kind of funny, Phil, when you say that. There's a recent survey done in Chicago where a group went around and just interviewed, just asked people on the street. They said, you know, tell me why, what you think of the Bible, especially the New Testament, and what, what would be your reasons why you don't follow it? What, what could you tell us? And they gave five high-level reasons why they said. The first one they said is, well, you know, it's just a bunch of stories. That's all it is. You know, am I really supposed to believe all that stuff? The second one was, well, there's so many contradictions. How can you take this book seriously? I mean, any, everybody knows there's contradictions. You know, they read Reader's Digest, apparently, right? The third one is, well, it's outdated. Am I really supposed to believe a book 2,000 years ago? I'm more progressive. See, I'm more into today's culture. So what could it possibly offer me? The fourth one is, well, my faith is very personal, and it comes from my heart. It's more what I believe, so why would I go to a code to tell me how I should live? And the last one is, it's not scientific. There's nothing in there that really points to any kind of true evidence or science that would make me want to believe it, all of which are easily answered. But this is a rhetoric you get out there outside of the church that our culture puts on people, and really, like G.K. Chesterton said, the reason people reject Christianity is not because they've tried it and found it wanting. It's because they've never tried it, so they don't know. And that's the culture we live in. Yeah. Question for you on that, Ed. Is it, does it seem like people, the, the big hang-up, and, and, and both of you guys can answer this, but it seems to me the conversations that I've had with people that don't believe or just want to hear evidence or whatever, they just can't get past, they believe it's the blind faith. Well, I can't see it. And, and they say it's not tangible, but yet there's manuscript evidence and there's archaeological evidence, and there really is evidence of the gospel. And so in your experiences, do you find that people can't seem to or want to get past the, well, if I can't see it, it's not tangible, I can't hold it in my hands, then I just can't believe it? Let me, let me sh- take a shot at that first. That would be called modernism, which I don't think is the main issue. I think the world we're living in is called postmodern. What that literally means is we live in a world that's pluralistic, pluralistic, relativistic, it's subject opinions. So what you have is people now don't have a lot of trust in anything. There's very few things that people can really put their foot down on and say, this is true. So we have different people setting up their own belief systems of what truth is. And people are constantly being disappointed when someone claims truth and find out it wasn't true. So what you have is people following their heart, people following their own value system. So pretty soon it's so pluralistic that facts don't matter anymore. It's more opinion. And does that come down to, is it just skepticism? Uh, Have they been hurt before or other things they might believe in or proven wrong? Or what is that core issue? There's a lot of things going on. For example, uh, we tend to think of things like being pragmatic as a good thing. And in certain things there are. 
But pragmatism also can kill you because what it means is I'm only going to do things that work for me. Mm. There's a lot of things in Christianity that don't necessarily work for me. Like, for instance, um, I should pray for my enemies. That's not something I put on my list that says, this is awesome. I can't wait. Right? Right. right. So we tend to shy away from things that don't work. And we're seeing in our culture, people are pushing these items, these areas of life that don't require a lot of accountability or responsibility. They're easier than that works. It's more easier for me. So they avoid that road that Jesus Christ talks about counting the cost, really committing yourself like in marriage. Yeah. I would say it, 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 it also comes down to authority. Um, I think the real issue is always for the human being who's going to be in control Nobody would argue with an engineer, and you're an engineer by trade. Nobody would argue uh, the science of engineering. Uh, nobody argues with the engineer before they cross the bridge. Uh, doesn't even occur to them to question the science behind whether or not that bridge can span the weight of the cars it's carrying. That bridge was built on scientific laws. Uh, nobody, nobody questions the science behind an airplane getting off the ground and staying in the air and safely landing again. The reason why that plane overcomes the law of gravity is there's another scientific law greater, the law of aerodynamics. These are absolute laws and people trust in absolutes all the time. And so why then do people begin to question God or the word of God? Well, because if it's true, then that means God's in charge and I'm not. And so it's much easier to argue against the Bible because if I ever come to terms with the fact that it is also true, like there are scientific laws that are absolute, there's also spiritual laws that are absolute, uh, then, then that begins to change everything. I'm confronted now with having to align my life behind God and his word, uh, rather than being my own God. And that's the age we live in. The self, you know, the postmodernism is, uh, another way of saying it is the age of self deification. All right. So it's self glorification where I'm my own authority. Uh, and, and I can, uh, in essence, be a self deity. And it's really the same temptation in Genesis three at the tree. Remember what you know, Satan tempted Eve with, eat of this tree and you'll be like who? You'll be like the gods. Uh, and that's always been the temptation of Satan on the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve. Eat of this tree in rebellion against God, you'll become like him. God doesn't want you to eat of this tree, Eve, because he knows if you do, you'll become a god too. Eve is trying to hold out on you. And say, that's the philosophy of this age that we can be our own God, we can captain our own ship, we can decide for ourselves what is true. And what did he do? As he attacked Eve in Genesis 3 and verse 1, it all began with, has God really said? Eve, are you sure God has really said you shouldn't eat of this tree? And see, that's always been Satan's signature move. It's the one he's making today in the 21st century, as he did in Genesis chapter 3, to tempt you to be your own God begins with getting you to question the Word of God. And so uh, I, I think that's what's at stake most of the time for people. It's not that uh, the Bible contains contradictions in itself. It's that the Bible contradicts them and themselves. 
You, you just made a really good point, and we're going to get into some of the evidence, but when you think about this idea of authority, there are two areas of our culture where we don't feel like we need to listen and we come up with our own ways of thinking. We don't do that with structural engineering. We don't do that with physics. We don't do it with mathematics. We do it in philosophy and ethics, where people think they can design their own ethical system. But you would never do that with a bridge, right? And so when you speak of we have physical, scientific laws, but we have spiritual laws, well, the scientific laws, people, most people understand law of gravity. You know, this is going to happen. If you look at gravitational attraction, you can look at strong nuclear force in atoms and see why things hold together. Spiritual laws are, are simple and you see them all around you. If you sin, you die. It's clear, right? Sin brings death. Um, another good one is you reap what you sow. That's a clear spiritual law comes out of the Bible and people know it because we see it in our judicial system. That's right. Right. Um, we've got another one. If you want to be exalted, you first have to be humiliated. You have to humble yourself. We see how the Marines work, how the military works, right? These spiritual laws are real, and people know it, and yet they don't conform to them. And that causes damage. It causes injury. I always say that you don't break the Ten Commandments. You're broken on the Ten Commandments. They break you. And, and people, that is what we see in our culture. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it, Ed. So I'm going to dive right into the question. Mm-hmm. You just said a second ago, we're going to dig into the evidence. Right. I got a shovel. Let's dig. <laughs> <Okay>. mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let me throw one at you. It's really interesting. So when we, when we speak of reliability, what we're really talking about is we have a New Testament. We're talking the New Testament, not the Old Testament. For the Old Testament, we're going to do a a podcast on that. And in the Old Testament, they literally had a job category called a scribe. This was their full occupation to do nothing but transmit copies to maintain the integrity of the Old Testament. So we'll be getting into that. New Testament didn't have scribes doing that. That was the early church, and they transmitted it. So what we have now, though, is even better. We have something called text criticism for the Bible, where we have 24,000 handwritten original manuscripts. Now, just to put your head around this, the next closest is Homer's Iliad, about 1700. But when you get into what's taught in our universities for history and how we learn about how the Greek histories, the Roman histories, we're down to like, you know, 10 copies. So I want to talk about this for a second because here, here's some evidence. So when people say, well, how do you trust the New Testament? How do you know that what you're reading, holding in your hands, represents the original words that were transmitted at that time when they were written down and when they actually happened? So when we go and we look at literature that's taught, I'm going to take an example. Um, If you want to get a PhD in ancient literature, in ancient history, from a major university, it's going to cost between $123,000 and $189,000 by the time you're done. It's going to take four to six years. A lot of money. Yep. And I went and did a study at, I looked at Penn State, Berkeley. I looked at uh, uh, University of California. I looked at Harvard. I looked at Yale. I looked at um, Columbia. I looked at Dartmouth. I looked at Mizzou. I looked at KU. And I wanted to go in and look at the content of the material that they you have to learn and study to get this PhD. Okay, so... There's a, there's a list of uh, Greek historians. As an example would be Thucydides on the history of the Greeks. It would be, say, uh, Plato's Tetralogies, the history of the world. Plato. Plato wrote around 427 BC. 
Um, the earliest manuscript we have of what Plato said is 900 AD. That's 1,200 years later. Now, just wrap your head around this. We're teaching Plato's tetralogies in universities for you to spend up to $189,000 to get a degree, and the material's outdated by 1,200 years. But even worse than that, there's only seven copies. Now, I, I mean, seriously. That's, that's limited. That's limited. So, you know, they don't put a little asterisk at the university saying, hey, by the way, we want you to know when you're spending your money, there's a chance this isn't really true. Ugh. Right? They don't right. do that. That's right. Right? Now, there's 15 different Greek historians. They're all about the same. You jump over to the Roman historians, right? Caesar and the Gallic Wars. All about uh, Julius Caesar fighting in the wars. Around 100 BC, earliest copy is 900 AD. That's a thousand year difference. And there's only 10 copies. Everything that you could know about Caesar and the wars he fought in are based on 10 copies that are a thousand years after the fact. And yet nobody tells anybody this, right? Now, New Testament, 24,000 handwritten copies. Earliest is a John Rylands manuscript, dates within 25 years. It's a small fragment of the Gospel of John that they found in Egypt, for crying out loud, okay? And then you have all these other copies. You have them in Latin, you have them in Greek, you have early Aramaic, 24,000. Now, I just told you, the, forget the Iliad because it's science fiction, basically. The best historians, there's only 10 copies. You see the difference? So you have 24,000 within 25 years. And what the text critics do is they go through these manuscripts anytime there's a discrepancy in the transmission that they find, and they can tell what the original meaning was because they can see it. So, for example, um, in 1 Thessalonians, it says, uh, we were gentle among you. The word in the Greek, hippoi, is spelled with one letter different than one manuscript accidentally wrote, where they put ipioi, which means horses. So we have a manuscript that says, we were horses among you. Well, it was- Not the intended meaning. Not the intended meaning. So was it easy to fix? We have 24,000 copies. So they sit there and they go, aha, beforehand it says, we are gentle and meek among you. It's an obvious error. They know it is. It's corrected. So what we have academically, intellectually, is this dearth, this incredible amount of manuscripts that allows us now to go back and check- and come up with the original meaning in the original book, and it's within 25 years. Yeah. And for clarity, as you're maybe out there trying to share the gospel with your one, witnessing, sharing, and this should come up, well, how can I trust the Bible anyway? How can I trust in the New Testament? There's no science that I can put my hope in. Well, actually, there is. Listen carefully. The science, the scholars call the bibliographic test. It's a very scientific approach the scholars take when they measure the reliability of any ancient literature. And what Ed is saying is that when you use the bibliographic test, the very same metric, the very same test, the scholars apply to any ancient works of literature, you can see the New Testament blows away all other ancient works. 24,000 manuscripts versus seven manuscripts. I took a Western Civ class in college. I had to, Ed. We studied all these guys. We studied Plato. We studied Aristotle. Yeah, you're laughing because you know I wouldn't have. I didn't have to. All right. But uh, I took the football degree. It was organizational communication. And that was the football player's degree. That's what we all got when we knew we were not going to the NFL. 
And as a part of that degree, I had to take Western Civ. I studied Plato. I studied Aristotle. And at one time, did my instructor say, now, guys, listen, class, we're not sure if Plato really said this. Uh, we're not sure if Aristotle really said this. Uh, there the, the never even was a question, even though from a true scientific approach, the reliability of their ancient works is not nearly as reliable as the New Testament. From a handful of copies in existence today to 24,000. Uh, and not only that, but as you said, the, 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 the copy of uh, Plato, 1,400 years from the original writing of Plato, uh, as opposed to the New Testament, 25 years. You hear this all the time. Well, you know, the New Testament's evolved through time. Well, here's the deal. When scholars take those 24,000 manuscripts and they're able to examine them internally, they can come to the conclusion that while there might be grammatical errors, uh, there might be copy errors of, uh, you know, misspellings or, or what it might be. You know, that's where you hear this, full of contradictions, 200,000 errors. Well, you know, there is no error whatsoever within those manuscripts as it relates to the tenets and the teachings of Christianity. None whatsoever. And so it's actually a very scientific approach in how scholars prove the reliability of any ancient text. Uh, when we look at the New Testament, we can trust in the reliability. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow you guys' minds even more. Okay, so in the Chester Beatty Library in Dublin, England, they have a copy that dates within a year of our Bible, of the New Testament. And it's called oral translation. So what it is, it's literally, if you think about, well, how on earth, even though there's, it's a 25-year gap, maybe a little longer gap between when we actually have the Gospels and Epistles written down to when the events actually happen, how do we know for that 25-year period that something didn't get messed up. So they're, they're, people are going to be skeptical even for 25 years. Well, the first comment is, you know, I could pull in a guy from Vietnam right now. Vietnam was more than 25 years ago. And I can assure you they can give me detailed eyewitness accounts and I would understand what happened in Vietnam. That's so right. 25 years is nothing. Right. But to make things even stronger, and this is why Christians should be so excited to share the gospel because we have evidence-based, strong, strong compelling evidence for the reliability and accuracy of the New Testament. In the Chester Beatty Library, they literally have a copy of an oral translation of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, what that means is when people, after Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, people were going around talking about it. Well, the way they talked about it is they would take papyri and they would write down. They would write down things that they heard and literally, when we read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians is around 62 to 65 AD. Well, this document, which is an oral translation, is dated by scholars at 33 to 34 AD. Hmm. We're talking within a year or two of the crucifixion and resurrection. Wow. And it literally writes out 1 Corinthians 15 on Jesus Christ dying being buried and rising from the dead according to the scriptures, which at that time meant the Old Testament. We're within a couple of years, guys. And what is interesting there, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel being the good news that Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures, three days later rose again, and guess what he appeals to? 
and he was seen by over 500 <laughs> eyewitnesses, he says, some of which remain to this day, meaning as he wrote those words 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, he was appealing to the eyewitness accounts, meaning, guys, if you don't believe what I'm saying and you don't believe what you're reading, there are people alive today that can verify it because they were there to personally see it. Now, Amen. listen, before you make that claim, you better have your facts straight. Yep. It was like, I can make a claim about what happened in Vietnam. I was never there. And I better be careful before I do. Because as you said, Ed, there's a lot of Vietnam vets alive today that can correct what I have said. And that's what Paul was saying. He's appealing to eyewitnesses that were still alive at the time he wrote those words 30 years later. You see, we have a faith based on eyewitnesses. Uh, We have a faith based on people who were there. Not just one or two or 10, but in this case, 500 eyewitnesses. This is so compelling because, uh, for example, Simon Greeleaf, who was the, the guy today, he was a professor at Harvard who wrote the Bible, if you will, on evidence-based jurisprudence in the court of law, was a Christian, became a Christian from a Jew based on the evidence for the resurrection. And he based his faith in Jesus Christ on what Phil just said, the fact that There's so many hostile witnesses that could correct any kind of an error that was made. So when you study the Gospels and the New Testament, the evidence stands by itself. So so you have, we're not talking theology here. This we aren't. We're talking about a foundation for why you believe. And what we have is so compelling, it leads you to that pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's good. So I'm gonna leave you. I, I I wish we could just do this all day. I mean, this is, I'm going to turn the mics off and just sit there and listen to you both all day. So I'll ask this final question. We'll have to keep it brief, unfortunately. But people out there that are searching and they, I'm not sure I believe, and I, I need that faith, but it seems like a lot of times people want to have the conversation, but don't want to dig in to the things that you're talking about. Is that a primary issue that we live in, in this this post-Christian America where people will have the conversation but believe what they believe without actually doing the work and being intentional and digging in? Because isn't digging in a part of it? I, I would suggest every single follower of Jesus needs to dig in and know the facts, okay? We are saved by grace through faith, but that faith is built on the facts. And so, I would encourage anyone out there who wants to be equipped to share their faith in a post-Christian era to just learn a basic a few facts, facts that you can rattle off very quickly like, like Ed just did. And you don't have to be a brainiac. That's, that's the 80s term we used in, you know, for us C students. I'm, I'm you know, hip there to was it. one kid in every class. Yeah. Ed, Ed was that kid in my <laughs> class, right, that you just wish you were more like him. No, okay, I still so, wish that. But here's the deal. You don't have to be an, an, an engineer to do this. I, I promise. Because I was that C student, guys. I was. I was more of a student than I was a scholar. I'm sorry. But this I know. Just basic thing. You can, you can do this. So in conversation, somebody asks you, why should I trust what the Bible says? It's as simple as this. Well, let me tell you why. There are 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. You say, so what? So this. Did you know that when you studied Plato in school, Plato has 10 manuscripts in existence today. 
Nobody questions what Plato said, even though there's only 10 manuscripts in existence today. Why would anybody question the New Testament? There are 24,000. Okay, so what did I just do? I just gave my listener, my friend, my family member that doesn't know Jesus, compelling evidence for why they should at least maybe take seriously the claims of the New Testament. And I didn't do it in a way they couldn't understand. I didn't use all the the deep scientific language. There is language. If you want to know more, I really encourage you to check out some of Ed's curriculum, FSC University, and arm yourself with just some basic facts. So when people just basically regurgitate what they've heard, well, the Bible's full of contradictions, or, well, the Bible's changed through time, or, or whatever it is, you're immediately armed with some basic facts. Remember, the goal is not to win an argument, it's to win a heart. And so know your audience. If they just want to debate, forget it. If they just want to argue, not going to do it. But if they generally just want to know, because uh, it's a barrier coming to faith in Christ, then you need prepared to have an intelligent conversation. Yeah, and I would, I'm going to give you three things. The first is come to my class. Sunday mornings, 930, Abundant Life Church. It's core building. And we have excellent interactive classes, and you'll learn a lot. Number two, you need to realize you should ask questions. Sometimes we think we have to have answers. No, you don't. You don't. You feel like you're a failure if you don't have answers, so therefore you say nothing. When someone asks you, why should I believe, what I like to do is always come back and say, well, help me understand why you don't. Could you help me understand why you don't? And you will learn it has nothing to do with evidence. (laughs) So I think the key to the gospel is to be able to find out the person who's skeptical, what is is it? And then number three, the focus of everything always comes to Jesus Christ. Everything we're talking about here, and there's a ton of it, is always with the number one motivation of getting people to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you both for being here. I so appreciate what you do, leading well, but, but making it easy for us to understand. Pastor Phil, thanks as always for all that you do, uh, your commitment uh, to be a, a man of God that preaches the Bible from the pulpit. It means so much to me, my family, and so many out there listening. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And Ed? It's a pleasure, man. I'm so excited to dive in. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the host of the podcast, but we're here to glorify Jesus. And I love these because I just get to sit here and watch you two run. Seriously. And so I want you all, again, it's the website is fse.life, Faith, Substance, and Evidence. There's a YouTube channel. You can go out there as well, FSC, Faith, Substance, and Evidence. Make sure you check it out, 930 on Sundays at the core downstairs, correct? Downstairs uh, from the core, there's a basement down there and some classrooms. Make sure you uh, you check that out. It is absolutely worth it. And for more information on Abundant Life, you can visit livingproof.co. For my guest, lead pastor, Phil Hopper, and our, apologetic, our apologetics expert, that's a tongue twister, but Ed Croteau, uh, remember to check out his website. For both of those guys, I'm Les Norman. Thanks for joining us today on the Watching World Podcast.